Hello, I'm Ray. Welcome to another Sunday podcast episode. This time all about houses. Houses, you're thinking, what can you talk about houses? What can you say about houses? Going back, oh, 100 years, more than 100 years, if you go out into the country, anywhere in the UK, pass through a small village or just a, a farm or something, you'll find very often a little row of terraced houses, only a few houses, two up, two down type houses. Two up, two down, that's a very old British term. It means, well, basically what it says, two rooms upstairs and two rooms downstairs. They were very popular. They were called workers' cottages. In fact, they were terraced, little terraced houses, not cottages, but they were known as workers' cottages. So two bedrooms upstairs, downstairs, perhaps a lounge, and, um, I don't know, a, a kitchen or dining area. Sometimes a little scullery tacked on the back of the house. So it was perhaps almost three down. And an outside toilet, of course. No inside toilet and bathroom. Nothing like that back in those days, when I was a boy. No, before I was a boy, long before I was a boy. But it's interesting. Just near us, north of us, uh, Upper Beading, there's uh, the cement works. And it was a well-known landmark, the cement works. Everyone knew that, back of Shoreham. The big chimney, I think the big chimney is still there. If you drive past the cement works, heading, which way is it, north, I suppose, just on the right, as you pass the cement works, lovely row of little cottages, uh, terraced houses. They would have been workers' cottages, probably for the cement works. And these cottages, whether they were on a farm or wherever, you know, perhaps a down in Cornwall, perhaps a tin mine or a copper mine, uh, all, all these sort of things, kilns in Ambley, where Ambley Museum is now, um, that's where they made lime, and they had all the kilns there, and there are little cottages around Ambley. They would have been workers' cottages, and they would have been tied. Now, a tied cottage means tied to the job, so it belongs to the company that you work for. If you lose your, <laughs> if you lose your job, I mean, it's funny now, looking back, I don't suppose it was then, you also lose your home. So that was it. The, the cottage, or the little terraced house, came with the job. So you had to be a bit careful. Of course, in those days, no unions or anything to help you. If there was a dispute at work, or you weren't happy with your extremely low wages, well, hard luck. Like it, lump it, or get out. But also get out of your home. Must have been quite worrying, actually, in those times. I know there are some living jobs today, aren't there? There's, I know someone who's housekeeper for a very large house, you know, family in a big house uh, on an estate, and she's housekeeper, and she's got a little cottage in the grounds. But things are different these days. When she retires, they have said she can stay in the cottage. Um, I, I don't know whether she'll pay some minimal rent or something, but uh, and someone else I know who worked on a farm... Um, he's now retired, him and his wife, they both worked on the farm and they lived in a farm cottage. They are now still in the farm cottage and they pay a minimal, minimal rent. You know, it's just a, a nothing, basically. I think it's a token gesture. They pay their own bills, of course. But uh, we, we don't realise how lucky we are these days with housing. I know there's a housing shortage. People are always saying, oh, there's a housing shortage. We've got to build fifty hundred million thousand houses every week to keep up with it all i think in the main we're pretty lucky with housing how are you in your home are you keeping warm we've had some very very frosty nights haven't we goodness me i put tomato plants out and then uh, come the evening i took them back in because they're still in the trays not quite ready to plant into their final place yet their final resting place well no they're not going to rest they're going to produce Massive crops of tomatoes, hopefully. So, yes, how are you keeping warm? That's the main thing. Keep warm. The heating still comes on. We've got it on a thermostat. The heating still comes on at night. Um, I don't know where. I'm just waiting for the weather to warm up a bit. I bought some geranium plants. I was going to take some geranium cuttings. We've got old plants and they haven't really got cuttings. They're getting old and woody. So I've stuck those in the ground down the end of the garden, see what they do. I bought some uh, more geranium plants, which are nice. Bought a little shrub because we dug up a, a rhododendron. It didn't like the soil. It's They need acid soil. So, yeah, the garden's looking nice. We've spent a couple of days out there, I think, in total, sweeping up, tidying up, trimming bushes and things. 
moved all the bird feeding equipment down to one spot. Anyway, you're not here for gardening, are you? And bird feeding. Oh, we had a, there was a racket going on yesterday. I was sitting in the garden having coffee and these birds went ballistic. They went mental. And I was looking around, what is going on? There's a massive fight going on. What it was, we have a lot of birds in the garden because we do all the feeders and the rest of it. This sparrow hawk came down and was trying to catch a sparrow. Two sparrows went into this bush. The sparrow hawk was trying to get in there after them. The dread, all the other birds clear off. Dreadful noises going on. I shooed the sparrow hawk off in the end. He disappeared. And the two little sparrows that were hiding in this bush, do you know they were there for half an hour? Half an hour they were. And they were like shivering. You could see their little hearts going. Even when I looked in, they didn't move. They were just frozen to the spot. I suppose well, that was their near-death experience, wasn't it? But I've not seen a sparrow hawk in the garden before because they are small birds of prey, aren't they? No wonder all the other birds took off making a dreadful noise. Anyway, back to houses. Where I've forgotten what I was saying now. This happens all the time. Oh, you know what's, you know what's going to happen in a minute, don't you? The dustman will turn up. I bet you anything the dustman will turn up in a minute. Ah, oh, I'm probably wrong. Now I've said that, they won't. There we go, we've got noises again. Okay, uh, let me just gather my thoughts and make a cup of coffee. Yes, uh, back in the day, they didn't have a bathroom, outside toilet, um, with newspaper hanging up by the toilet. We won't go into that. Uh, not very nice, not very hygienic days. Mind you, all this washing we do these, yeah, we antibacteria everything, don't we? You know, if you, if you touch the table, right? oh, wash my hands. Hang on, I touched the door handle, wash my hands, alcoholic, antibacterial, this and that. It's a wonder we're not all uh, without immune systems at all, because you have to have some, you've got to have some dirt, haven't you? You've got to have some germs to be able to fight them off if you get something worse. I don't know. Everything, you see these adverts on the telly, everything is spotless. You could eat your dinner from the toilet seat. I, I personally think it's all too much. But anyway, they didn't have all this hygiene, all these sprays and things in the old days. If they were lucky, they had, was it coal tar soap and carbolic soap, if they were lucky. And they had to get a cheese grater. You know how you grate your cheese, well, you don't need more people go and buy it already grated because they're lazy. But if you're not lazy, you know how you grate your cheese. Well, they did that with carbolic soap into a tub, into a copper, wasn't it? See, these old houses would have had all this stuff into a copper, put your hot water in there. The hot water, of course, comes from the, the fire, back boiler or something, or boil it up on the range, if you've got a small range. Stir it all up with a big stick, like a paddle, and that's your washing stuff, your washing water. Chuck your stuff in there, and then keep stirring it. Oh, they had a dolly, didn't they? A dolly, it looked like a three-legged stool. And you stick that in there and twist it back and forth. Mind you, I think... Apart from diseases, of course, and things like that, that they couldn't really fight. I think they must have been pretty healthy. All the work was physical, wasn't it? All the food they had was, well, it was their own food. You didn't go down and buy processed food and stuff like all that rubbish. And sugar added to everything and chemicals and E-numbers. They grew the veg in the garden, the fruit in the garden. uh, Killed the meat on the farm, home-killed meat and all this stuff. So there was nothing added to it, perhaps just a bit of salt. But it must have been a hard life. I I don't know. I see some of these programmes like Victorian Farm and other programmes they put on, which have worked very well done, excellently done. But it makes you think, you know, they've got the crop. They're trying to harvest the crop. The rain comes across, ruins the entire crop. What can they do? That's it. That's a whole year they've been waiting for this crop of whatever. And it's ruined. It's not good for anything. It must have been very hard in those days. Of course, then you had the other extreme, the big houses, the very big houses. Do you know, in our town, in Worthing here, the whole of the seafront, well, not the whole of it, but a load of the seafront houses, the big old houses, have gone. And they're blocks of flats. I suppose people don't want these huge houses like they used to have, with room for a cook, a maid... Uh, I don't know, a housekeeper or whatever, a butler and all the things they had. They don't, these days, they don't want a morning room, a library, a study, well, possibly a study. They don't want all these rooms, do they? 
But it's such a shame. Do you know one house, one house that was destroyed was a huge place in Worthing on a massive plot of land. Huge plot of land. I never went in the house, but it was a massive place. And I recently saw a photograph of it because I'm on Facebook. I look at these, you know, bygone things and there's one about the town. And there's a photograph of the house that was there. It's, uh, I don't know when it was pulled down, but there's a massive, and I mean massive, block of flats in its place. Well, if you live there, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, but it's ugly. I know it's your home that I'm calling ugly, but it is. It's an eyesore. This huge block of flats reaching up to the sky where there was once a beautiful house with lovely gardens. Such a shame. But of course, as I say, who... Who wants a house? I mean, today, what is it? What's the average? Uh, Mum, dad, 2.4 children. I always felt sorry for the 0.4. He, he or she can't have much of a life. You're only 0.4 of a child. <laughs> now, don't be silly. Let's move on. But these days, 2.4 children. Very often back then, people would have four kids, if not six. You know, it wasn't at all uncommon to have six children. And people with money, which a lot of them did have money, they would want a big house. The husband would perhaps work in the city. He'd commute to the city. The wife would be at home doing whatever she did. She'd have a cook. She'd have a nanny, perhaps. And very often staff would live in. So there's the up in the attic rooms. They had staff quarters up there, didn't they? They needed a big house. They needed a, a nursery, a playroom, children's bedrooms, uh, the, the morning room, the library, a big hallway. A huge hallway. There's all these different rooms and, of course, uh, a massive plot of land to plonk the whole house right in the middle of. Uh, it's such a shame, though, to see these places pulled down and a, a block of flats put in their place. In London, of course, that we had all this. Was it the 60s? They built the tower blocks, the so-called tower blocks. Get rid of all these back street slums, as they called them. A lot of them weren't slums. They were nice little rows of terraced houses. You know, like Coronation Street. You know, do you watch Coronation Street? I certainly don't. Oh, dear. But no, they were nice little houses. And the women and the, and the men, of course, anyone could lean over the fence or the wall, have a chat. You know, you know your neighbours. You see them in the street. The ladies would be out there scrubbing the doorstep. And is that sexist? Can I say that? Well, they were. The blokes didn't do it. They were out of work. The ladies scrubbed the doorstep. So if that's uh, offended anyone, well, hard luck. <laughs> but it was good. It was a community. They pulled all that lot down, took all the people out and put them in tower blocks. Of course, no one met each anyone. You couldn't meet each other. You couldn't chat. You could chat in the lift or on the stairs. That was about it. You'd lost your garden. You'd lost the whole social thing of being a community. The community had gone. And you're just living in a pile of boxes, basically. A pile of boxes. The first house I bought, when was that? That would be the 70s. That was a box. It was, it was a box. I mean, downstairs was, well, basically two rooms. A through, they called it a through lounge diner, which was basically just one long room from the front of the house to the back. I say long, it wasn't that long. And then there was a little kitchen off that, kind of built in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> built in the corner to, to make, I don't know, the kitchen area. Upstairs, two, I was going to say two, one main bedroom, one bedroom that wasn't much bigger than a cupboard, and a kind of middle bedroom that was a little bit bigger than a cupboard, and then a small bathroom and toilet. I suppose it was good. It was a first-time buyer's type house, which is what everyone is saying we need these days. You know, youngsters can't get a mortgage, a big mortgage. They need small houses, first-time buyer-type houses that are cheap, um, which ours was, you know, the first one we bought, it was cheap, I forget, the 9,200, I believe, 9,200 pounds back in the, when would that be, 75, 75, 76, 76 was that hot summer, do you remember that? Sweltering. Anyway, um, it was a very basic house, the walls were <laughs> very thin, I remember being in our bedroom, I could hear the chap next door. His bathroom was next door. I could hear him weeing in the toilet when I, I was in bed. Yeah, we'd, we'd lay in bed in the mornings talking about what we're going to do that day. And then you could hear this chap. Anyway, let's, let's move on. The walls were very thin. 
but it was a great first-time buyer's house. Small front garden, very small back garden, and a garage in a compound, which was great. That's all you needed when you're first setting off. Then we had a baby, of course, and then we moved to a bungalow, which was you know, a lot bigger, huge garden there. It was like a mansion. Of course, back then, I say back then, not uh, the 70s, say 100 years ago, well, no, more than 100 years ago, go back to the late 1800s, there were, I mean, it's the same today. There is this class thing. There's people with money and there's people without money. It's always been that way and I think it always will be, no matter how people try to change it. So you've got people in in the town, in Worthing, for example, a lot of small terraced houses. Then you move up, there are a lot of beautiful semi-detached houses, then detached, and then you go to the bigger houses. Uh, I suppose you start off with the, the very, very small flats. Of course, that, that's what's happened with a lot of the big houses, not the huge ones, they were pulled down. But a big house is turned into flats or bedsits. You know, a bedsit where it's a bed sitting room, basically, you've got one room, uh, that's it, you share a toilet, you've got one room, and in there is your bed, your television, uh, in the corner is the kitchen area sink and a little cooker thing, and it's all in one room, a bed sitting room. And a lot of these big old houses have been turned into either bedsits or small flats. Uh, perhaps if it's a three-floor place, then, I don't know, you've got three flats on the three floors, something like that. Because, again, people just don't want the big houses. I like, personally, I like big houses. I like lots of rooms where you, <laughs> where you can go and hide. You know, if I'm in trouble with my wife, I can go and hide in, a, in one of the rooms somewhere. But, no, seriously, I, I do like a big garden. Now, a lot of my friends not at all interested in gardening. Oh, I've got to mow the lawn. Oh, I'll have to do it, I suppose. She's been on about it. She being her indoors. <laughs> That's rude, isn't it? Oh, I love it. And they just hate it. They hate they're doing anything in the garden. They mow the lawn, sweep up. Oh, there's leaves everywhere. I suppose I have to clean that up. I find mowing the lawn therapeutic. I find pottering around in the garden therapeutic. The sun on your back, the birds singing. You know, it's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. I just love being in the garden. And, okay, the bigger the garden, the more work. Well, I don't mind. Have a wild area. We haven't got a big garden. I used to have, years ago, a huge garden. But now we've only got a small garden. And we've got a wild area. We call it the graveyard. Because there we've got buried... What have we got buried there? Is it two or three cats? I think two or three rabbits. A Russian hamster. A couple of rats. You know, pet-type rats. Uh, oh, various various other things that we've had over the decades that have passed on. So we've buried them in the graveyard. And then on top of that, the ground there, we've got a fig tree, which doesn't do much. It is not hot enough here. And it's just wild. Just grass grows wild. We've got weeds, dandelions. And of course, the, the insects love it. The beetles love it. All the birds rummage around in there and the squirrels. It's great. It's our wild area. So even yeah, when we had a big garden... Um, going back years, half of it we had as wild. So the first half was really nice for sitting in with a nice lawn. And the other half, well, we had vegetable plot down there as well. But it was wild. And you get all the wildlife down there, foxes and squirrels and all sorts down there. It was lovely. Wild, it was furious. <laughs> of course, another thing, people with some money and people with not so much money, Houses would have a garage. Some of the better houses, semi-detached, detached, they'd have a garage. Obviously, terraced houses don't have garages. There's nowhere to put them. And then you get uh, perhaps bungalows or smaller uh, semi-detached houses. They wouldn't have a garage. So they're really, I suppose, really, there was something for everyone's pocket, everyone's budget, if you think about it, which uh, I suppose was a good thing. I remember my parents, they moved into a bungalow. There was no garage. And they couldn't afford to have a garage. Of course, most people didn't have cars. I mean, going back to the 50s, they didn't have a car, my parents. My dad had a bike and my mum, well, she had her legs. <laughs> that was it. They didn't have a car. So there was no need for a garage. Later on in years when they had a car, then they had a garage built. So, you know, that's what a lot of people did. Most houses these days with room for a garage does have a garage. But, of course, what... What the people in terraced houses have done, well, and others, without a garage or a driveway, knock down the front wall or fence, pave the front garden over, 
and park the car there, which is okay. Uh, the trouble is, though, if you look out of your window, all you see are cars, cars in all the front gardens, or what were the front gardens, and all parked up the road. And, of course, it, I don't know, it's a shame because, I mean, you can't have it both ways. I like a front garden with flowers, uh, a bit of a lawn, perhaps, and some tubs and some flowers and shrubs. And yet most people, including us, I must say, we've got a car. <laughs> Look out of your lounge window, what do you see? Your car on a paved bit of ground, which is a shame because I used to like the garden in the front. But there we are. You know, you can't have everything. To be honest, I'd be quite happy to do away with a car, but we do need a car. This is the trouble. But yeah, back in the 50s, most people didn't have a car or a telephone. In fact, uh, or a TV. People, a lot of people didn't have TV back in the 50s. So they were really cut off. All they had was a radio. Of course, the old vintage radios, the valve radios, which uh, I used to restore. Of course, I've stopped now. I've retired. I don't mean to offend anyone if you've just moved into a new build. Why do they call it a new build? It used to be a new house. <laughs> oh, I hate all this language. What about that? Is it Hull University? And before I... I mustn't forget what I was going to say. Oh, new... Yeah, new house. I'm just going to write that down. I've got a bit of paper here. Look, look, new houses. I'll write new houses. I want me to read that. Um, Hull. Is it Hull University? They're stopping... Uh, their English lessons or whatever they're doing, grammar, syntax, all this stuff, spelling and stuff, because apparently, I don't know, people can't keep up with it. I haven't heard the full story, so I can't comment too much, but what on earth is going on with our language? Well, they're, they're not going to teach it anymore, or, or they're not going to do is it English literature, or I don't know, I don't know, English language or something. What a shame, because so many people can't speak properly these days. <laughs> Um, I mean, I try it. I try to speak properly, but so so many people, they just say, I ain't, I've, I ain't done nothing or what in it, mate. And, and it's awful. It's awful. Why do people do that? Listen, can you hear that? As I've said before, I used to have the seagulls as my, uh, my background sort of wildlife noises. Now I've got all sorts of bleeps and buzzing and tunes. I think that's an email coming in. But anyway, back to small houses. Oh, just one thing before I... Uh, no, new houses, wasn't it? There was a house in Worthing. I, I'm looking at my notes here now. There was a house in Worthing on the corner of a road. I'm going back a few decades. And it was a huge house, a lovely big old house. And the builders, there were builders about to pull it down, demolition people. And one evening I was walking past with a friend. Lovely summer evening, it was daylight sun was shining and they hadn't finished boarding off the the wall you know they board all the wall around the front garden so people couldn't get in there so we walked in there just jumped over this bit of wall we went in where the front door was where the front door was hanging off its hinges and honestly when we walked inside the hallway was bigger than my lounge now i mean our lounge isn't tiny by any means but this hallway was huge and we went over the whole house lovely big rooms there were two huge front rooms on one uh, what is it aspect of it they were facing south massive front rooms with huge bay windows then uh, both at the front then round the side that would be facing east another two large windows a huge garden lovely garden we went upstairs oh the staircase was a huge wooden staircase absolutely amazing a work of art such a shame. They pulled the whole thing down and, well, no need for me to tell you what's there now, is there? No need at all. And what is there now is ugly. A big, ugly, horrible block of concrete. But there we are. I suppose it's home to someone, isn't it? Or home to several people. But that was a lovely house. Uh, every time I pass there, because I drive that way, you know, wherever we go, we usually go that way. And I, I just glance over and I just remember that house being there and it's so sad. New houses. Now, finally, I'm round to new houses. Uh, as I said, don't want to offend you if you just bought a nice new house, but I hate them. I absolutely hate them. No character. When I say new, uh, let me see. I'm probably going back uh, 60, no, 60s, 60s, because um, that's when, in the 60s, that's when they started knocking up the houses out of sort of breeze blocks 
and then inside using plasterboard. You know, instead of plastering the walls, they bang up plasterboard. So, of course, you go to put up some shelves or something. And Hang on, where's the brick wall? I've got this plasterboard thing, then the brick wall some distance behind that. And you tap the walls and it sounds like, it's hollow, sounds like wood. Honestly, I, I, the new houses they build now, well, uh, over the years, I've seen one or two people, they bought them, I've gone round to have a look. Plaster's all cracking, you know, the ceiling's coming away from the wall. <laughs> it's not funny. But, uh, and the gardens are just, well, the gardens are clay, basically just lumps of clay. You never grow anything there. It's just horrible. I hate new houses. And they squash them all in together. I mean, obviously there are some big new houses. And I've been in one or two of those. And they are the same. Problems. Problems all the time. Cracks appearing everywhere. You know, big cracks and plasters opening up and has to be sorted out. I don't know. Did that happen in the, well, late 1800s, early 1900s, when they built a house? Did the builders have to keep going back every five minutes? Oh, this has dropped off. That's fallen off. That bit's fallen over. <laughs> that bit was missing. I don't know. Perhaps I'm just, as I always say, perhaps I'm just sort of getting old and I'm old-fashioned, I suppose. I'm old-fashioned. But I like things done properly, especially if you're spending tens or, well, hundreds of thousands of pounds on a house. You want it kind of built properly if you can. Another thing, that first house I bought, uh, the mid-terrace one, yeah, that was the 70s. I, I wanted to put in an extra PowerPoint. Now, when we moved in, you know, we bought the house when someone else, it wasn't new, someone else had been living there. I think it was there. Yeah, they were the first owners, we were the second. So I took the carpet up, fitted carpet. I took the carpet up, expecting to lift a couple of floorboards because I wanted to run a cable under to another PowerPoint, an extra one. And it's chipboard. The floor was chipboard. You know, chipboard, it's not like separate planks. It's just huge sheets of glued together sawdust, basically. And that was it. The whole floor was chipboard. I couldn't get under it. Uh, that was upstairs. Downstairs, it was concrete. So you couldn't do anything there. Marley tiles. And that, that was it. I couldn't... Uh, I mean, there was no central heating there. Later on, when everyone had central heating put in, I don't know where they would have put the pipes. Well, downstairs, they'd have to run round the walls, I suppose, because it's a concrete floor. Upstairs, the same thing because you, you can't take the boards up, ordinary floorboards, because it's chipboard. Awful. And the between the lounge and the hall were sort of double glazed doors. And above the door frame to the ceiling, it was hardboard, just a sheet of hardboard and a wooden frame. It was dreadful, because I, I wanted to take off the old wallpaper, and I was stripping the paper. And I thought, what's this underneath? Hardboard, that's all it was. Hardboard, nailed on a wooden frame above it, honestly. It, I don't know, you know, I just don't know. I I was really disappointed. I did the wallpapering and no one knew, of course. Everyone came in, oh, you've done that nicely. Yeah, that looks good. They didn't know this hardboard over the door frame. Another thing that was terrible, we were there five years, I think, five years, then we moved on. The window frames were rotting. I, I painted them and I painted them a couple of times all outside, that not double glazed then. The window frames were rotting. I was rubbing down a section one day and the lump of wood just fell out. And that house was only, how old was it when we moved in? I don't know, only a few years. So after, well, let's say a maximum of 10, 15, no, not 15, 10 years, the wood, the window frames were rotting. They'd obviously been out in the damp, they'd been banged together, you know, no one cared, just made out of cheap pine, banged together. They were probably wet when they were first painted. That's the trouble. Wood was never, well, is never these days, never allowed to dry out properly. Going back, um, I remember people saying to me, oh, back in the 30s and the 20s, you'd see big piles of wood, uh, joists and ceiling, rafters and that, all out outside piled up like wigwams and they were weathering them they were drying them out and weathering the wood you know, they get wet in the rain then they dry out and they were then used to build houses there was oh yes the bungalow I remember in my bedroom I was what about eight years old no I wasn't when we moved there I was five but I remember out of the skirting board in my bedroom 
there was this, it was like um, sticky stuff. And I remember saying, what's that? It was sap. The wood, <laughs> the skirting board wood, was still alive. And, and there was something growing. Uh, someone said it was a branch of a tree growing out. I don't know whether it was a branch. But something was growing out of the wood. And there's this sap. Honestly, that wood, I reckon when they made it into a skirting board, it was like the day after they chopped the tree down, bang it into a skirting board and then stick it in the bungalow. So it was still growing. That's how awful it was. I, I, think, I just think it's dreadful. I don't know what they do these days. I, I just dread to think. One thing that is surprising, do you remember prefabs after the Second World War, they put up a lot of prefabricated houses. They would arrive on lorries, sort of like in sections, and they'd bang them all together. It was just quicker. They desperately needed housing because so many houses had been lost in the war with the bombing and everything that they had to build housing quickly. So they knocked up these prefabs and, you know, they lasted decades. They were, I think they were meant to be a, a sort of temporary measure. Get people housed in those while they built proper houses. But these prefabs, I think they, they lasted longer than some of the new houses that were built later on. I'm sure there are still some around. There are, in fact. Yes, I know where there are some. They were called prefabs, prefabricated buildings. I suppose basically fabricated in a factory take it on a lorry, then bang together on site. <laughs> the quality of the prefabs back then was far better than the quality of, is that word again, new builds, or two words, now. They were better quality then, the old prefabs. Also in the 50s, uh, they built a lot of council houses, you know, council-owned houses to rent out to people that, that couldn't get a mortgage. Because back then, Getting a mortgage, it wasn't like now you go online, you know, I earn this, I earn that much, I've got a couple of grand in savings. Oh yeah, have a mortgage, that's fine. Back then, you had to go to the bank and see the bank manager. And you'd say, well, there's this house, I'm looking to buy it, and they want a deposit of whatever. And you know, he knew what you earned, he knew where you worked. And he'd say very often, no. You know, you can't afford it. No, I'm not going to give you the mortgage for this place. So people then have to rent. And there were private renting places around, but mainly it was council. Council flats, council housing. In fact, a friend of mine, he, I'm going back to the 60s, he had four kids and he had a council house. And I said to him, oh, there's six of you in the house. You know, what do you do? Squash them all in. He said, we've got a four bedroom house, big house. I said, I thought you said it was council. Anyway, he said, come and have a look. So that weekend, I went up there. It's outside the town in a, in a village, just outskirts of a village. A beautiful, semi-detached, big house with a big garden. I was amazed. I said, well, this is council. Oh, yeah, he says, council. Council owned, we pay rent. Absolutely fantastic. And I was quite envious. Uh, I was still living at home then with my parents, but uh, I thought, good grief, what a lovely place. And, you know, later on, because I kept in touch with him for a while, later on, the council was selling off a lot of houses, which I think was a mistake, but there we are, that's another issue. Uh, he bought it. He bought it for a fraction of its real worth. I think he, had to, he wasn't allowed to sell it after he'd bought it for several years or something, but he didn't want to sell it. He said, I'm not moving. I didn't buy it to sell it and make a profit. He said that he'd been there uh, when he first got married. All his four kids uh, he'd had there, or they'd had there, and he didn't want to move. He's probably still there now. What was he? Because I'm going back a while. I think he was about five years older than me, so he's probably, well, mid-70s, something like that. I bet he's still there. Next time I go that way, I'll have to go and knock on the door. <laughs> Hello, it's me. He'll say, who the hell are you? Ah oh dear, happy days. Of course, what some people do as they get on, you know, they have their family and the kids are growing up, they, they make a room in the loft, don't they, up in the attic, they turn that into a room or have an extension. So many people have extensions on the back of the house. We haven't done that because, well, we've got a three-bedroom house. We've only got three bedrooms. It's not a big place, but there's only two of us here. We've got lounge, quite a big lounge, quite a nice dining room and the kitchen downstairs. We don't need any more than that. What we do like is the garden. 
So obviously an extension would take up a fair amount of the garden. And it's like a room in the roof. Well, we couldn't really do that here. There's no room for a staircase. But uh, in bigger houses, they do make the attic into another room, a big room. Also, what a lot of people have done, actually in our row, what people have done is knock through the lounge and dining room. So it's one long room. I'd rather have the house as it was with the separate rooms, especially at Christmas, things like that, when we've got the family around. All the kids will pile into one room and the adults can go into another room. So the kids can all do whatever they're doing, opening presents, playing with presents, and the adults can go into the other room, which is nice. Otherwise, you're all stuck in the one room. I don't know. Different ways of looking at that, really, aren't there? I just prefer the separate rooms. The bungalow I had, that had a garage. And do you know, this is a funny thing. I don't know percentage-wise. Shall I guess? I would say 90% of people with a garage don't keep their car in it. How many people do I know have got a garage? I don't think any of them, maybe one, actually keeps their car in the garage. <laughs> the garage, normally, if you look in the garage, it's full of junk, isn't it? It's full of rubbish. Well, not rubbish, it's full of stuff. That's where you keep stuff. Well, where should we put this? Oh, stick it in the garage. I suppose that's uh, one good reason for not having a garage. It would just be full of stuff. Yeah, my garage, I never put the car in there. When I had one, a garage, never ever put the car in there. What did we have? In fact, at the bungalow, I made it into a bit of a utility room, washing machine, tumble dryer, uh, sort of worktop, chest, fridge, freezer. It was a bit of a utility room and a bit of a, a workshop and storage space. Never, well, we couldn't have got the car in there anyway, <laughs> not unless you drive into the washing machine. No, it wasn't a chest, fridge, freezer, was it? It was a chest freezer. It was a huge freezer I got from this friend of mine. He, he rang me, he said, do you want a freezer? I said, okay, well, what is it? He said, oh, it's a big chest freezer. He said, it's in my van now. I want it out the way. I'll drop it off. He didn't want anything for it. So we lugged it into the garage, carried this huge thing in there, plonked it <laughs> in the back of the garage. And, you know, I grew runner beans and all sorts of stuff. And I froze it all. That chest freezer was, well, no, it was never full. I can't lie. It was never full uh, because it was a huge thing. So it probably wasn't too efficient running it, to be honest. But I used to grow runner beans. And as it was a huge garden, we had the vegetable plot. I grew a ridiculous amount of runner beans in that first year that we had the freezer. And I blanched the whole thing. You, know, you, you blanch them all, you do all that, you cut them about and stuff. And I froze the whole lot. And, you know, we, <laughs> we had runner beans with every meal for about three years. Well, not quite every meal. But it was great. I put all sorts of things in that freezer. I put milk in there because it was a village. There's a local shop. But uh, you know, I, I'd buy a load of milk. You know, when we went to the supermarket, we'd buy a load of milk and stick it all in the freezer. Loads of bread, loads of stuff in the chest freezer. So we didn't have to go shopping every five minutes. They were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Then we got our first microwave. Oh, do you remember the first microwave you had? I tell you what, again, this friend of mine, do you want a microwave? He wanted 80 quid for it. I said, all right, go on then, 80 pounds. I mean, they were expensive then. This was a, um, what was it? Showroom uh, X demonstration model or something. I forget where he worked now. Anyway, he bought this round and I thought, uh, this is good, I'm going to experiment. So I put an egg in it. I just put this egg in the centre of it. Well, I think I put it in an egg cup. I was going to have a boiled egg. And I shut the door, turned it on, and the egg blew up. <laughs> it exploded in the freezer in the freezer well doubt getting old in the freezer listen to me what am i like stone the crows in the microwave and it was all splattered inside with raw egg where the thing had exploded uh, of course i learnt after that you know, don't put eggs whole eggs in the, in the i nearly said freezer again goodness grief what is happening to me I found after that uh, incident, it was best to leave my wife in the kitchen and just keep out of the way. She took to the microwave straight away. No problem. I think she had a quick look through a couple of books that she got from the local place, wherever. And uh, yeah, because sweet shops used to sell books and things. Well, our local one did. Not only magazines, but you could buy, I don't know, cookbooks, gardening books, that sort of thing. She got a couple of books from there. You know, microwave oven books, because they were... They were the new thing, weren't they? Microwave oven, wow. Yeah, very, very useful bit of kit. 
very useful. But as I say, I kept out of the kitchen after that. And I must admit, I've kept out of the kitchen ever since. I, I kind of, I can't cook, but I kind of like mucking around. I like making curries. Uh, I make a nice vegetable curry. Uh, we used to do it together. My wife and I would both make the curry. It, it would take me like half an hour to chop up this or chop up that. Whereas she'd get the knife and it's and it's done. And peeling things. Uh, it would take me ages and I'd peel half the whatever it was off with the peel. And in the end she said, look, shall I do the curry? So I became the, the KP, the kitchen porter. I'd do the clearing up. I'd be at the sink washing up, loading the dishwasher, washing up the bigger items. I'd be doing that sort of thing. But we still have homemade curry. Talking of freezers, what she does, she'll cook a, a huge pot of curry and then put it all into ice cream, little ice cream tubs or whatever they are, and freeze it. And the same with other stuff. She'll cook a load of it and then fill up the freezer with it. So, you know, if ever she said, oh, I, I can't be bothered to cook, go to the freezer and take out a couple of things of curry or, or whatever. It's fantastic. Talking of houses, which we weren't, well, we're supposed to be, but we weren't. We're talking about curry. The thing is with the older houses, no double glazing, no loft insulation, no cavity wall insulation, none of this stuff, no fitted carpets, just a rug in the middle. So you've got the floorboards with the gaps between the boards. Do you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, they were drafty. They were cold. <laughs> but I'm not worried too much about the cold because you have the coal fire. But they were drafty. And what did that mean? There was fresh air coming in all the time. You couldn't escape fresh air. The windows would rattle in the wind. I remember that in an old house I had. Goodness me, I had to stuff bits of newspaper down. They were sash windows. I like sash windows. I'd, I replaced the ropes. You know the ropes, there's weights inside the window frame. There's actual weights and uh, pulley and ropes. So when you lift the sash window up, it doesn't feel heavy. You know, the weights are meant to balance it out. And of course, they break after a few decades or a few hundred years. And I had to replace the ropes. That was a palaver. I, I did it. No, I did the job properly. It worked well. But of course, they were always drafty. You have to stuff bits of newspaper between the windows and the frames. But the point I'm making is, or I'm going to make, if, if you've got another hour or two to listen, to wait. <laughs> ah, happy days. Is that you had fresh air all the time. OK, they were cold, the houses. But you had fresh air all the time. And I think that was a good thing. I remember people talk. This is someone laughing next door. Now, who's that? They're having a party. No, it's not. It's out on the road. Do you know, we haven't had any dustmen. How about that? No dustmen today. How about that? That's a result. My, oh, my chair's... Yeah, my chair's still creaking. What was I saying? I can't remember. Oh, do you know, I honestly can't remember. I'm going to have to play it back and listen to... This is awful. I, I just put... Oh, there goes the chair. I put all this down to old age. You're going to be switching off in a minute if you haven't done so already. That's it. That's what I was going to say. When double glazing was first coming in and fitted carpets, loft insulation, uh, cavity wall insulation, all this stuff, people were saying, hang on a minute, you know, you're, you're not getting any fresh air. You're not getting any change of air because coal fires went out because they drew in a lot of air. And uh, the coal fires actually made a lot of the draft because they needed oxygen to burn a lot of it. So they're sucking in all this air, which is going up the chimney. And where would it come from? Drafts under the door, through the window frames, through the floorboard cracks. And when they didn't have coal fires anymore, central heating, all that sort of thing, people were living in basically sealed boxes. So you've got your heating and you've got your stale air. It's hot. It's, it's good for bacteria and stuff like that. It wasn't good at all for health, I don't think. And I remember as the decades went, went by, you know, people were talking about this uh, on the radio, on the television. They were saying, open a window, even in the winter, open a window, have some fresh air. I don't know whether people do that now. We do. We always sleep in the winter or summer. We sleep with the window open because, you know, you need fresh air, don't you? You need oxygen. You don't want the old stale air all the time. Talking of fresh air, I've just had a haircut a couple of hours ago at last. I had to book up. I had to wait a week and a half he was seeing people, my hairdresser chap, every every half hour from nine till six every day. And uh, I had to wait a week and a half. Then it was my half hour slot. 
and he's done a good job considering it was a total mess because uh, a couple of my daughters attacked it with scissors and electric clippers as he said he's not been doing a lot of haircuts more hair repair jobs which I thought was a great way of doing it repair jobs where people have hacked it and shaved it <laughs> oh dear anyway at long last I look I was going to say human half human I'm so pleased though at last I've had a proper professional haircut what's that got to do with fresh air you're asking I've no idea oh yes I have my head's cold I've lost my hat because I was wearing like a my hair was like a huge fur hat and of course it's all gone well not all of it I'm not bald and it's cold it's still cold out there it's freezing I'm still bashing the ice out of the bird baths every morning but they reckon it's going to warm up next week. Now, you'll be listening to this on Sunday, right? Well, well, probably Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, whenever you listen to it. I know most people seem to download the episode, then listen to it whenever they can. So you're not all there at kind of nine o'clock Sunday morning when I put it on. <laughs> oh, I've got some notes here. Facebook page. Oh, yes. What's that Facebook page? Before I forget, if you're interested in Mrs. Fortescue and the vicar's daughter and all that lot, which you're probably not. I know quite a quite a lot of people are probably won't admit it though yeah, if I said who's interested oh no no we're not interested but have a look on the Ray's Rants Facebook page and there's a link there to part two there are now two parts to that um, Mrs Fortescue business so just type you know, go on to Facebook type in Ray's Rants and it'll come up now we've got a birthday next week April for us is the birthday month I think we've got about eight birthdays at least eight if not more I've probably forgotten some, which is naughty. So we've got a lot of birthdays this month, a lot of cards to sort out and presents to wrap. But when I say we, you know what I mean. I, I mean my wife. <laughs> I take an interest. That's enough, isn't it? It's funny. If I want something from the loft, because my knee hurts, my back hurts, you don't really get old, Well, you probably don't. You're probably young. I'll say to her, oh, I must, uh, I must pop up in the loft and get that, whatever it is. We'll say it's a lampshade. I must pop up there and get that lampshade. Oh, I'll do that. Oh, are you sure? Oh, yeah, I'll pop up. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And she goes up in the loft. Or I'll say, oh, I must get that uh, big screwdriver out of the shed, that one I left on the bench. Oh, I'll go and get that for you. It's, and I play on No, I shouldn't. I mustn't say that. I, I do play on that a little bit. Oh, my knee hurts. Oh, I was going to go out to the car. I've left my sunglasses in the car oh I'll go and get them for <laughs> is that naughty you'll all be emailing me now telling me off talking of emails uh John John wanted to know whether I've actually been down the treacle mines in something did I mention the treacle mines I think I must have done you know I can't remember it's awful it's now half past six moving on from treacle mines it's now half past six in the morning, would you believe? Saturday. What I do with podcasts, I don't sit down and do the whole thing in one go. I usually do a little bit here, a little bit there. Some Monday, perhaps a bit more on Wednesday. Just in case anything happens during the week that might be of interest. Uh, of course, so it's Saturday today, which is uh, the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral this afternoon. So probably have a look at that on TV. That's sad. But uh, apart from that, the sunshine is out, as I say, half six, blue sky, brilliant sunshine. So I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit warmer today. Now, those of you who live uh, further afield from the UK, uh, Australia and wherever, when I say it's going to be a maximum of 12 degrees today, so that's good. Here we go, more, more noises. Did you hear that? 12 degrees centigrade. You're thinking 12? <laughs> It doesn't get that cold in our midwinter in Australia. No, seriously, 12 degrees. I know it's not warm, but that's all we've got to look forward to today, I'm afraid. 12 degrees maximum. Not to worry. I'm going to clear off now. Not quite the hour, but uh, I don't think I need to commit myself 100% to exactly one hour. <laughs> exactly 60 minutes. So don't forget to email me if you've anything to say. Oh, I had another idea from someone. Um, who is it? Oh, Carol. Hello, Carol. Carol said, how about doing uh, animals, uh, not domestic animals, but um, other wildlife type animals? Haven't, we, haven't I done that? I don't know. I'm not sure. In our garden, we've got squirrels, hedgehogs at the right time of year, of course. Uh, we've got frogs. Well, we've still got, I know our frog spawn died, but we've still got frogs. We've got uh, our rabbits, of course, but they're, they're domestic animals. 
Uh, what else have we got? Told you about the sparrow hawk, didn't I, that came down the other day. So, yes, I suppose, uh, actually, as the weather does get better, I'll be out, my chair's creaking, I'll be out in the woods more. We go to uh, out into the countryside quite a lot. So what I might do is make some recordings. How about that in the countryside? Because Carol mentioned um, the sounds of animals. Perhaps have what she meant was have them playing in the background. So <laughs> it's a good idea, Carol, because she's mentioned the dustman and the rest of it. And she said, well, how about having a background noise? Um, a noise. I think you mean a sound effects, Carol. Not a, There we go. At the moment, I've got background sound effects of weird boing, boing things. But no, she's right. I mean, what do you mean, Carol? Like a, a trumpet, uh, elephant trumpeting in the background. <laughs> or cows mooing in a field. I don't know. As I say, next time I go out into the country, I might record some <laughs> animal sounds and have them playing here, uh, perhaps on my iPhone or iPad while I'm talking to you. I don't know. Right, I've bored, <laughs> bored you enough. I've got to go and have a cup of tea and have some breakfast. I've got to, talking of animals, I've got to put the monkey nuts out for the squirrels. Uh, the bird, the birds are waiting for their, their bread and their seeds. We've got arriving today some suet type slabs that we put in these wire holders. We've also got uh, some fat balls arriving. I hate that term. Fat balls for the bird feeders. Um, coconut halves, you know, which are full of suet and mealworm and the horrible type things, in, you know, dead insects and bits of fruit and things for the birds. They love those, those half coconut things you hang with a bit of string on places. So that's all arriving today, hopefully. Right, talking of food, I'm going to have my breakfast. I shall see you all next Wednesday for the midweek message. Raise rants at protonmail.com love to hear from you as always enjoy the little bit of freedom we're getting now lockdown is easing and i shall see you uh, for another hour or so next sunday take care bye bye for now